Hi, Kirby. Hi, Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to, to Los Angeles. Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We hope you stay a while. <laughs> Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Big day on Los Angeles because we are in the midst of a K-pop star, <laughs> but also the founder of one of our favorite skincare brands. We have Paul Beck of Matter of Fact on Los Angeles. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> we are thrilled. We love Paul. And I was, y'all, I'm just gonna be real with you. We were not recording earlier. We were recording, we did a whole thing, and then it was it was literally perfect. And then I'm like, wow, we're not recording Paul's audio. The most important part of this is Paul's audio. And he's, we're not recording. But I was saying that Paul, when you meet Paul, he has this beautiful luminescent skin. It's just a walking billboard for matter of fact, just incredible. But his skin wasn't always uh, swoon worthy, I guess you could say. And his, and would you say that too, Paul? Would you say like oh, when you yes. were telling me your story, that's kind of the gist of it. So it's it's awesome that he struggled with his skin, found what worked, and then made this brand. So we're gonna get into all of that, but we do want to kick things off with what's on your face, Paul. What are you using, and what are you loving? Oh, yes. So, of course, you know, I'm using some products that we, we have. And so, uh, our resurfacing and hydrating serum because I have I still have very, very acne-prone, irritation-prone skin. Um, and I do need regular exfoliation to keep things in check. Um, and then I also have our minimalist hydrating moisturizer on uh, as well because it's, you know, I formulate it for me. <laughs> and so, I like using it. Um, and then I also have a sunscreen on. And so, I've been you know, testing some prototypes I've been making in the lab. But today I have a Japanese sunscreen on that's, you know, on the market. It's called Pigeon UV Baby, uh, SPF 50, PA++++. Um, it's a, it is a, a mineral-based sunscreen. So it does leave a bit of a white cast. Um, it's probably not as noticeable on a skin tone like mine, but it is probably not universal. Actually, I know this is not universal because I gave some to Julian, uh, my teammate, to try. And uh, Dr. Sass, who has yes. been on the show before, who we love. Exactly. A friend of the yes. pups. And so we wanted to do a test. Well, I give him lots of things to test. And um, just to see how bad the Ycast was, it wasn't going to be a question of whether there was one or not. Um, but that's what I have on my face today. Pigeon bait. What's it called? Pigeon baby? I know, Pigeon UV Baby, pigeon UV but it's baby. not for a baby. It's not Actually, for babies. Actually, it is marketed for use on on babies and especially, I think, very young infants. Um, but I got it because it was, we're in the middle of Koreatown. There are lots of stores. Um, it was really affordable. Um, it looked like a gentle formula and I have really sensitive eyes. And so a lot of sunscreens make my eyes water. Um, and so I, I used it and I think it's actually pretty great as long as, the white cast is not too apparent on your skin tone. So is that a good tip for people who have sensitivities towards sunscreen? Like, for example, I have this is a, anyway, OK, I have a nanny who I love dearly, but she says she is allergic to like every sunscreen possible. And I have made it my mission for the past two years to find her something that works and she cannot find any. Everything makes her break out. So I know that that's not that's common for a lot of people. Would you suggest using baby sunscreens or sunscreens made for infants because it is much more gentle on the skin? I think it really varies um, because, you know, sometimes um, just because a product is called a baby product doesn't mean that the formula is necessarily that different from something that's not formulated for babies. Right. So if you go to the baby aisle of any big box retailer, uh, actually can often get great deals on the same products, um, but it's just a bigger package and has baby on it, right? So ointments and salves, right? Um, a lot of people love aquifer. I love aquifer too. Um, and you can get 
a really big tub in the baby aisle um, for cheaper, but it's the same formula as the non-baby aquifer formula. So not necessarily always, but for brands that really specialize in baby products and do the testing, right? Because things are different sometimes in theory than they are in practice, but they do testing, extensive testing on acute and cumulative irritation, allergenicity, then sometimes it can result in a product that is, is gentler. Um, and I know what my sensitivities are, right? So a lot of specific UV filters uh, are what make my eyes water. Um, and so I know that if I use zinc oxide or titanium dioxide based sunscreen around my eyes, that it's much less likely uh, to produce that effect for me. Interesting. Okay. So we did we talk about your hair and how bouncy and voluminous it is? It, it's giving <laughs> that it skips. I'm sorry, but it's giving that K-pop star. And because you were formerly a K-pop star, we need to talk about this. Before Matter of Fact, you told your parents that you wanted to be a K-pop star and you manifested and fulfilled your dreams. Tell us how that came to be and what that experience was like. Oh, my gosh. You know, but, but I mean, first of all, thank you. I actually grew up um, really hating my hair. And, you know, I grew up in North Florida. And so I was, you know, usually the only non-white student in all of my classes. And um, and at the time, you know, really flat, like the, like Caesar cut. And when you have textured hair, it doesn't lie flat against the head. And so I was always very self-conscious of it. Um, and so it means a lot to me when you, when I hear nice things about <laughs> my hair. <laughs> um, but, you know, growing up, you know, I didn't see a lot of folks who looked like me on TV uh, or in music. Um, and I have an older sister and she's six years older than me. And so when she went to college, she went off to New York um, to see this theoretical bigger world out there. And she came back home that first winter break with K-pop CDs um, and music videos. And for me, it was just, you know, I was 12 years old, it was mind blowing. And I, I don't think I would have ever been able to articulate it at that age, but I just knew, oh, I need to know more. I need to listen to more. And there was a, you know, the one Korean grocer in town was going out of business because there wasn't a large Korean population. But at that time they had a huge video selection, right? Of like old episodes of Korean dramas and variety shows and music shows. And uh, we went in as, you know, they were getting rid of inventory. And I said, what are you going to do with all these videos? I'm going to throw them away. Do you mind if I take some of them before you throw them away? So I had this like huge stack of VHS tapes, tapes of uh, music shows from, you know, the past several years. Um, and I was just, I was obsessed with it. Um, I think for me, it reminded me that there was a bigger world out there and that there were people who looked like me and they were performing all kinds of genres of music really unselfconsciously and joyously and they're making that music and sharing it and so I just I thought I have to get there and so with the you know unerring logic of a 12 year old I told my parents and you know my parents were they immigrated uh before I was born uh from Korea to the U.S. um and you know we didn't have a lot growing up and so when I came to them and said you have to send me to Korea and they're like, plane tickets are really expensive. Why the heck do you need to go to Korea? And I was like, so I can become a K-pop singer. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, my dad said, if you can get into Harvard, you can do whatever the heck you want. Um, and I took it literally, even though I later learned he meant it as, you know, when pigs fly, uh, you can become a singer. And so I, I thought, okay, well then, you know, let me study hard and hopefully I have some nice luck on my side too. And so that's, that's sort of what I did. And so I focused on my studies and extracurriculars and, um, and then also uh, was trying to teach myself how to sing um, at the same time, recording myself, cringing as I listened to it and trying to improve it, uh, trying to teach myself Korean because I didn't grow up speaking Korean because I wasn't really a Korean community. And so all the first words I was learning were heartbreak and breakup and loneliness and sadness because it was a lot of love songs um but that's sort of you know how it happened and i auditioned i sent an audition tape on i'm dating myself now on vhs um <laughs> the winter break of my first year in college and uh i got an email back saying we'd love to meet you in person when can you be in korea and i thought just wait 
one second and I tried getting an internship in South Korea that summer so that I could get my airfare and housing paid for so I could actually get over there. And, um, and that's sort of how it happened. I didn't get signed immediately. It was two years later after keeping in touch this summer before my senior year of college um, that I got signed. And, um, and it was a five year four album contract and I was young. I probably didn't really understand what I was getting myself into. But it was like a moth to a flame. I just, I, I felt compelled to, to do it. And by the way, you were at Harvard. You, you did do what your, your father had asked. <laughs> yes, I, I don't think in any other scenario they would have, my, my dad or my mom would have ever uh, tolerated um, <laughs> me doing music. Um, but it was for in a lot of ways for me it was the first time that I was really doing something for me. Um, and I think there was a lot of anxiety and excitement around that as well. And it was, it was a wonderful experience in so many ways. It was a really tough experience in many ways too. Um, and so, but every single time I thought about maybe some of the tougher aspects of it, it was, well, this is, this is my decision. You know, um, I have to take responsibility for it and be, be accountable. Okay, Paul, so then do you think that anyone can teach themselves how to sing? Actually, a lot of people, you know, um, and K-pop specifically, because now the market has really matured. And uh, and so many young kids want to be singers. For a long time, it wasn't uh, considered to be a respectable occupation in Korea to be an entertainment. And that's changed quite a bit. Uh, maybe not completely, but because of that, there are all kinds of vocal training academies and there's even um, what's called in a direct translation would be applied music majors which is basically pop star school that you can get a degree in <laughs> but at that time it really wasn't so most of the talent was self-taught until they got a contract with a label i the old, so i'm like so late to like the k-pop craze and k-dramas but I watched the Blackpink documentary on Netflix and like it just opened my eyes to that. Is that did did you have to do a school like that at all? Like the training that they did when you became a singer? It is pretty standard. So oftentimes um, the contracts will be divided into two different types of contracts. So you'll first sign a contract as a trainee, uh, meaning that there's no guarantee of having a record be released you know under your name um it's really just a contract to oftentimes live in company-owned housing to then attend all of the it's usually even if you're not going to be an actor or dancer acting dancing and vocal classes um you know going to the recording studio practicing recording demos for established artists um, so that they have a vocal guide to listen to as they learn a new song um, and then a second contract where if you go through that process successfully, um, then you can release an album. Of course, the drop off rate after a first album is extremely high, probably, I don't know, 80, 90, maybe even higher, that if your first record doesn't perform as anticipated, then you're dropped. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it's, it's a, again, it's a wonderful experience because you get to create um, create things that are meaningful to you and hopefully meaningful to your audience, but it can be really tough in some ways too. I promise that we're not going to keep talking about your pop star career, but I, I really am fascinated by this. <laughs> like, I want to know if are, are like Korean labels and maybe American labels completely separate? Like, are they, are they, is there any overlap? Meaning if you recorded a song and then some star over here in the U.S. loved that song and was like, okay, I want to take that and make it, like, sing it in English. Are Was there any overlap there? Or, or did you feel like they were completely separate entities? Like, would there ever be a song that maybe Sarah and I heard over here that was taken from a popular K-pop song and then, I guess, like, made and, like, Americanized, I guess, in a way? Well, that was becoming a little bit more common when I was there from 2008 to 2013. Um, but oftentimes it was simultaneous because at that time it was when a lot of the the labels and agencies in Korea started working with uh, songwriters all around the world, not just local to Korea. And so you would often hear songs that were recorded by, you know, um, 
Girls' Generation um, in Korea. Um, and then also recorded by an artist in the UK. And it'd be released around the same time. And it was before uh, K-pop was as, as mainstream in the West as it is now. And so people wouldn't realize, right, that it was, it was the same song. And sometimes enthusiastic fans would be, oh my gosh, you know, did someone plagiarize? No, no, guys. <laughs> the songwriter just sold it to two different market simultaneously wow oh my god that's wild you could write have you written a book about your experience because you should um i haven't um <laughs> you have two ghost writers if you need them yeah. <laughs> you're also like i'm busy as you can see behind me i have my lab um but okay our la last question about being a k-pop star like and living in korea i think everyone has this expectation that Every Korean has perfect glass skin and every, you know, K-pop star is synonymous with like clear, beautiful, luminous skin. Is that true? Like, do you feel like that was a standard that you felt that you had to live up to when you were living there? Oh, I mean, you know, Korean entertainment, um, the bar is set very high, right? It can be a sometimes brutally image conscious industry. And of course that's true to varying degrees in all entertainment industries around the world. Um, whenever people are consuming things or consuming people visually, right? Um, and so, you know, of course the standard was high. I was being sent to the dermatologist quite frequently. I've always had really, really acne prone skin. Um, I remember as a teenager, if occasionally I would um, see a relative from Korea who was visiting. Um, they would call me Dr. Acne or Dr. Pimple. Um, in Korean, it's Yodurumbaksa, which is, you know, kind of a, in, a term of endearment that's still kind of hurtful, right? If you're a teenager and you're suffering from, from acne. Um, but, you know, it was, but that's okay because you're a teenager and you should just be focusing on, on studying and, you know, learning. Um, but when I got to Korea, it was made very clear to me. Um, and, you know, there weren't any, it's not a culture that especially uh, likes to beat around the bush <laughs> in communications in certain settings. And so um, I was told, we have to get your skin in order. Um, and so there was, um, you know, I guess you could call it immense pressure. It was just more a given, right? It was just an expectation. Um, and so skin, beautiful skin was made, not really born with. And also um, when you're, especially when you're in promotion, promotion cycles, uh, you go to the salon at like 5 a.m. and, you know, whisked away by your manager in a big black van. And the only people there are other talent. Um, and everyone's arriving with the hair like this and a hoodie, you know, with a crust still in the corners of their eyes. Um, and then they get their faces and hair stamped on and then, you know, sent out into the world to do, to go about their activities. Um, but when you're undergoing that kind of really heavy uh, makeup every single day for an extended period of time during a promotional cycle, you know, it can, it can affect your skin. Um, and so, so yes, it was, it was a big part of the job. Um, and I remember also hearing at the time, it was a really popular thing to say in entertainment. Um, uh, being able to successfully take care of yourself so that you don't get sick, so that you don't break out, so that your physical uh, state doesn't affect, negatively affect your performance in any kind of way is also a skill and also part of the job. Um, and so, yeah. but how do you even do that? Like how, the skin, that, that's, that's why there's not a magic product that just magically clears up somebody's acne in, in one fell swoop, you know, like otherwise there would be no skincare industry. So how do you even do that? You go into the dermatologist frequently and at the time, you know, it may have changed since then, but things like intense pulse light treatments or photodynamic therapy, which is, you know, IPL after putting a you know, photosensitizing agent on the skin. Um, I never had enough downtime to do things like photodynamic therapy, but things like IPL, um, you know, done on a regular basis can help. Um, and of course, you know, before doing that, doing the manual extractions um, and, uh, you know, trying to clear the pores before they rupture the lining of the pore and turn into a lesion. 
um, that sort of thing, you know, a regular was a regular practice, but it also has to be complemented by, you know, daily routine that works for you. And that was kind of the area where I wasn't getting a lot of guidance at the time. And because I was so acne prone, um, you know, regulatory guidelines around the world for cosmetics vary by region. And in South Korea in particular, uh, they're very stringent about, you know, several ingredients, including things like salicylic acid and other anti-acne agents that we commonly use at 2% here in the U.S. For benzoperoxide, 10% over the counter you can get. That wasn't the case when I was in Korea. And so the products were wonderfully gentle and hydrating, but they weren't really active enough to help me manage my my skin. And so I remember, and practices were different too. Uh, I had been uh, using a prescription retinoid um, in college before I went to try to manage my breakouts. And then I went and I said, can, can I get a prescription for this? They said, why would you, why would you want to? And it was for different, it was for adapalene, right? Which is a relatively gentle, you know, and it was at 0.1%, which is now over the counter here in the US. Um, and they said, that's way too strong. You shouldn't be putting that on your face. And so there were differences, you know, geographically in that sense as well. And it's like, I just know that this will help in addition to what I'm doing, but I had a lot of dryness and flaking and redness um, because Korea gets very cold in the winter, uh, very cold and dry. And so I just really struggled for the first year and a half while I was there. I was getting a lot of pressure. You look terrible. You cannot look terrible <laughs> and uh, trying to figure it out. Wow. That is, I'm not strong enough for that. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. So then if you are, you know, someone that has acne in Korea, are they then just because they don't have those uh, active ingredients readily, readily available, are you then encouraged to see a dermatologist who can help you? Oh, yes. Instead I mean, of then doing what so many people do here in the States and just like burning your DIY. face off. <laughs> yes. I mean, I see it as a seesaw. So in Korea, because there's such easy access and affordable access to dermatologists, especially in large cities like Seoul, every single corner has at least one, usually multiple dermatology clinics. And so you can go in, you can make same day appointments to get catalog injections to you know, assist to bring it down right away. When I was growing up, it was six months to get an appointment with a dermatologist. Um, and, and so because of that, it sets off the fairly tight regulatory guidelines around cosmetics. And so, you know, the products don't, in some ways don't need to be as active because of the easy affordable access to clinicians, to dermatologists. Um, whereas in the US, it's kind of, the opposite, right? Uh, depending on whether you have health coverage, where you live within the US, so on and so forth, where uh, we, we have a uniquely DIY approach to many things here in the US. And, you know, there are many things that you can buy on Amazon that, you know, raise my eyebrows. Um, right. So I'm like, is that safe uh, <laughs> to be selling <laughs> online? Um, but it's, yeah, it's a bit of a seesaw. Interesting. Okay, so let's get into matter of fact. You launched with your vitamin C and the barrier cream, which I like there was so much fanfare around the launch of your brand. So great job on that. And I know that Sarah instantly fell in love with your vitamin C and the barrier cream both. Like I yes. finished it so quickly. Yes. I'm mad about it actually. Not yeah. your fault. It was just my, my fault. <laughs> she was going to town. So I'm curious personally, like, why did you want to launch with a vitamin C? And there's so much discussion around, I almost feel like lately vitamin C has been getting a bad rap. Like, have you seen those videos that are like, you don't need vitamin C, you need this instead. And it's because, you know, L-scorbic acid is such a fickle ingredient. It has to be, you have to play nice with it. You have to coddle it. So... Talk to us about launching with a vitamin C and your thought process in that. Yeah, of course. I mean, for the first two and a half years of the company's life, I didn't know whether we would actually launch products as a brand. I was just in the lab making things. Um, and vitamin C was one of the many things I was working on. But in general, I was focused on finicky ingredients, right? Because people were shopping by ingredient increasingly. They liked understanding 
you know, how an ingredient was going to improve certain skin concerns that they had. But, you know, how could we unleash these ingredients if they had certain shortcomings, if they had issues with staying shelf stable for a long time or being dissolved so that you could get a nice smooth texture instead of it being a little bit gritty and leaving a film on the skin or, you know, so on and so forth. And so I was working on several uh, delivery systems for several ingredients, but because vitamin C is so well-known. And I think what you're describing, Kirby, is in some ways just, uh, I suppose you might say it's a victim of its own success. Yes. When something becomes <laughs> yes. well-known enough, then, you know, you compare it, you, you think it's going to solve every single problem that you ever had with your skin. It's like, well, no, it's never going to be able to live up to that. Uh, but that's not to say that it has great benefits for specific targeted concerns. And look, in skincare, a lot of ingredients have overlap in the effects that they have on skin, right? So when we think of uh, vitamin C and retinol and the research for uh, fine lines and wrinkling, um, when we think about uh, vitamin C and niacinamide and the research around uh, discolorations and dark spots on skin, and uh, when we think about niacinamide and ceramides and thinking about supporting a strong skin barrier, right, there are always going to be overlaps. And if a particular ingredient doesn't work for you, there's so many others that are that are waiting. Um, but because vitamin C was so well known, people were most excited about it when I shared what I was working on, the various formulas. And so that's, I think, you know, the main reason why we started there, because it seemed like people wanted uh, a vitamin C. And of course, we were hearing, can you make it uh, 15 to 20% L-ascorbic acid? Because that's what I want. And that's what I've noticed. I get a faster result from, right? Um, and can you make it so that I don't feel rushed in using the product? Can you make sure that the vitamin C, vitamin C stays intact for a long period of time? And then also, uh, can you make sure that it has a really smooth texture and plays well with my sunscreen and foundation because I like to use it during the day. And so I don't want it to, to ball up when layered with other products. And so um, those are the three criteria that I, I focused on. And, um, and so it just seemed like a beloved ingredient that was a little bit, like you said, finicky to work with, needed to be coddled. And so it seemed like a puzzle that if I could you know, find a solution for, uh, one of many, you can skin a cat in many ways, um, that maybe some skincare users would really like it and appreciate it. So that's why we started there. But um, as you know, from the recent launches, it was really just the beginning. Totally. And then you, it's 20% L-ascorbic acid in your vitamin C. Do you feel, I mean, obviously you don't feel it's irritating, but why do you think some people, why are some products at 20% irritating versus, you know, someone can get by using a 10% and feel like it's just as effective or maybe just as strong? Yeah, there's so much variability from person to person, right? Which is why, you know, of course, if uh, you want to, make sure that you've done your homework and done initial safety testing on the product that you do things like repeat insult patch testing, you know, for acute and cumulative irritation and allergenicity. Um, and then if you are running a clinical study that you pay attention to any adverse reactions to the product. And for that particular formula, we saw really none in the irritation testing initially, but that's not to say that in the wild, that someone will have a reaction to it because you're testing it on 50 to 100 people where there are many more people in the world and you're also testing it in a more controlled way. So for example, if uh, it's the dead of winter and it's extremely cold and dry and your skin is more sensitive than it normally would be during milder months, then you may have a reaction at that time when you wouldn't during a different time. If you're using uh, a product um, like prescription retinoid, right? Uh, and it, it can often make you more sensitive and lead to you reacting to things that you wouldn't have before you started using that product. Um, and then sometimes people are just sensitive, right? You can develop sensitivities and allergies to really almost anything. Um, and so uh, that's something that I want to make sure that people understand. So A, they don't blame themselves, right? It's, you may have been able to use a product for a long time and you developed a sensitivity to something in the formula over time and can no longer use it. Um, or, right. That's Sarah with her eyelash extensions. She prays to God every day her her eyelash glue doesn't do anything <laughs> to her. It's, her. it's eyelash extensions and then like a seafood allergy. 
I hope to never <laughs> develop either of them. See what allergies. I hope really that for tired. you as well. <laughs> I that feel like be. those those are the two that comes up when you're like in your mid thirties and you're like, wait, I don't understand. That's like my worst nightmare. Anyways, continue. No, but it, it's it's true, right? It's you know the things that we love. We hope that we can continue enjoying them. Um, but you know the body can be unpredictable, and so uh, that twenty percent, um, it is high. It surprised me when we didn't see more reports of, you know, pinkness, maybe a little bit of tingling or stinging right on the skin. Um, and we hear from a lot of our customers that they can use this uh, when they haven't been able to use other products of 20% L-ascorbic acid, but some people are going to be sensitive to the formula. And, you know, there are a few tips that we would recommend, um, you know, four main tips. So the first one is use it sparingly. Um, I always say you really only need half a pump of the product to cover your entire face. And it has a lot of slip. Um, number two is play with the frequency of usage. So, you know, go low and slow. You can start with two to three times a week, see how your skin reacts, and then slowly ramp up usage if you're seeing that your skin can tolerate it without any issue. Um, number three is, of course, you know, thinking about buffering the product potentially. So using a really gentle bland cream or uh, inert facial oil, right, underneath the product first, and then applying product sparingly on top to sort of give a gentler experience. And then, uh, and for some areas are more sensitive than others. So especially the neck, the skin on the neck is almost always more sensitive than the skin on the face. Um, and so being sure to be especially careful on areas like the neck that can be more around the eye, for example. Um, some people with very sensitive skin like to uh, protect those areas before using a really active product uh, with some uh, petrolatum, some Vaseline, um, just to pre prevent the product from migrating there and causing a reaction. Okay, so in addition to being extremely potent, it also has one of the longest shelf lives for a vitamin C on the market. It's like three times longer than most other vitamin C products available. You mentioned earlier, like the success of vitamin C, like it seems like every single brand has a vitamin C in their product lineup, but so many of them are good for, like we said, you know, immediately after you open it, like good luck lasting longer than a month. Why is it so difficult for brands to make such a reliable shelf stable vitamin C like yours? Well, to be sure, there are other stable vitamin C products on the market. By eliminating the use of water, you dramatically increase that shelf life, right? And so there are a number of, you know, waterless products on the market. Um, and But I think sometimes the challenge is that uh, the texture, when things are not dissolved, and oftentimes, you know, a, an easy way, I shouldn't say an easy, a really clever and smart strategy to create waterless products is to then not dissolve the ingredient and instead mill it into a fine powder and then suspend it in these hydrophobic vehicles, you know, silicone elastomer gels or, you know, things like that. And they've been shown to be successful, right? They deliver the ingredient to the skin, they produce nice clinical results, but people have different preferences when it comes to texture, right? And so if they are bothered by just a little bit of sandiness in the product, uh, before those vitamin C crystals can have time to melt into the skin from the moisture naturally present in skin, right? Then, you know, different options for different folks with different preferences. Um, and so uh, this is another waterless delivery vehicle system, but because it's dissolved, that's what makes it unusual. It's the only product on the market that has a high concentration of pure vitamin C, L-ascorbic acid, you know, 15 to 20%. Um, in a waterless solution, but completely dissolved so that it gives you that texture if that's what you're looking for, that smooth, silky texture. I went to the lab and watched Paul do this himself. He put, what it's it was 20% vitamin C powder in this tiny little beaker and we watched it dissolve. I mean, and it took a little bit, but it, it dissolved. And then he proved to us that he wasn't just making up like it, that it was actually the vitamin C powder. And what did you put? You put like iodine or something in it and it yes. completely yep. dissolved the color. 
because, you know, who knew? I might have been putting powdered sugar in water and saying it was vitamin C. Right. That's what we were. He was like, I want you to know that this is not powdered sugar. This is actually vitamin C. And yeah, I'm and so, you know, you. you can feel the texture for those who use vitamin C. It was recognizable. It is the product. And then putting some iodine, the kind that you put on a cut, right, as an antiseptic. And like a lot of antimicrobial agents, it works uh, by killing microbes through oxidation, right? Um, and so... Uh, putting in a strong antioxidant like vitamin C will make it go clear. And it's just a easy visible demonstration of, you know, free radicals being neutralized by an antioxidant. Um, and so it was a, it was a, hopefully a fun way to demonstrate that it wasn't sugar water. Um. <laughs> Everyone was really excited about it. That demo was great. It was awesome. Those are the science experiments we should have been doing and like middle school and high school right. I've been paying more attention I don't want to dissect a frog like no thank you just show no. me how vitamin c products right, are made right you're pro you would be encouraging <laughs> more people to get into the skin arts for the love of god okay wait so I and Paul we can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it but you guys recently went to Tokyo right yes and y'all were presenting findings or a study rather that you guys did yes and I, I heard this from Julia. So are, are you are you okay to talk about this? Yes, I, I'm actually, um, we're okay to share now. Um, that yes, was... okay. Please tell everyone about this trip to Tokyo and what you were presenting there. Because I, I, when I heard this, my mind was blown. I was like, this is really incredible. Yes, I mean, one thing about vitamin C is that, like you were saying, because it's such a, you know, loved ingredient and people are looking for it and it's been very, very successful. Um, a lot of people are caught up in, the pH, is that the formula of the right pH to be effective? Or is it formula in this way to be effective? Well, there are ways you can test efficacy through clinical studies instead of only relying on the theory. So understanding whether the final formula has been tested for efficacy for the claims around the product, whether it's improving the appearance of dark spots or improving the appearance of wrinkling. Um, and so, and with vitamin C, of course, the, the question is always, we know what it can do when it's fresh, but it, can it continue doing that over time as the product sits on, sits on a shelf for 24 months, for two years? And so, uh, you know, it takes time to collect that kind of data because first you have to let the product age for that amount of time after producing it. And then you have to run the study. And so that's exactly what we did. We launched with clinical studies on fresh product, showing statistically significant improvements and fine wrinkling and dark spots, measuring those results in you know, a number of ways to make sure that it was a robust clinical study. Um, but we did that, you know, 19 months later um, as well on product that was near the very end of its shelf life. We measured the amount of vitamin C that was left. It was 19.56% after 18 months. Um, so, you know, barely a change from the original 20%. And then ran another 12-week clinical study, instrumental measurements, meaning can we measure the change in, in aspects of skin through machinery, uh, clinician grading in a blinded way so the clinicians don't know what the treatment was, but can they see a difference in wrinkling, dark spots, texture, so on and so forth. And then of course, asking the users themselves, because even if someone else can see a difference and you can measure it through this fancy machinery, if the user doesn't feel like it's improved their skin, they're not gonna continue using it. And so, you know, those three things, and it remained clinically effective, you know, after all that time at the end of its shelf life. Um, and so that was the research we were able to present, you know, all the stability data accelerated, right? That's industry standard for new products because you can't wait two years at room temperature seeing how the product ages. And so you put it at high heat for 12 weeks, simulating two years at room temperature. But then now we finally have batches that are two years old and have been continuously testing those at room temperature as well. Um, and so we know that the vitamin C stays intact. And then of course, most importantly, we know that it remains clinically effective um, for the shelf life of the product as well. And that's what we shared at, so cool. at this um, uh, dermatology conference. Our abstracts were published in the Journal of Investigative Dermatology. It's a high-impact, peer-reviewed medical journal. Um, and uh, we presented our, our research at the conference in two posters. And uh, uh, Dr. Tim McCraw, um, my uh, longtime mentor and technical advisor, and then Dr. Julian Sass, uh, and I went in and shared the findings with, uh, with the academic uh, community. It's like insurance for your vitamin C, just knowing that it's going to last and still be effective. I absolutely love it. That's amazing. Congratulations. <laughs>
oh, thank you so much. I mean, you know, it's good to have the data, right? When people have questions, it's natural to have questions. There's nothing wrong with that. But what can we do to collect the data and analyze it so that people can have the data uh, when they're making their decision? All right, so there's a relaunch happening and we have our vitamin C and our barrier cream plus three new products and new packaging, which we're gonna get into a second, but I wanna talk about these new launches because I was really interested in the ingredients and what you were using the ingredients for. For instance, there's Bakuchiol in one of these products, but it was not messaged to be a retinol alternative. It And I asked at the event, what are you using Bakuchiol for? Um, Julian told us, this is an antioxidant. This is a really great antioxidant for the skin. We are not promoting it as a retinol alternative here. So can you elaborate first of, of what, why was it important to include uh, Bakuchiol within one of these products or a few of them rather? And then also I wanted to ask about this particular ingredient that Julian is definitely gonna drag me for because I am not gonna pronounce it correctly and he always makes fun of us like not being able to pronounce anything on this podcast. Galactoarabinin? Galactoarabinin. That was Beanin. very good. Beanin. Okay, galactoarabinin. I want to hear about those two ingredients specifically. Of course. I mean, you know, Bakuchiol has been a really buzzy ingredient for the past several years now. And as you reference, you know, sometimes it's referred to as a retinol alternative or a phytoretinol. Um, and of course, that's based on uh, some published data about um, gene expression, right? So uh, similarities to retinoids in uh, gene expression studies. Um, and I think the reality is, is that, you know, um, once people understand how things work under the hood, it usually makes much more sense, but ingredient suppliers are running businesses, right? They're developing, researching, and then marketing those ingredients to formulators, such as myself, to say, hey, are you looking for a new ingredient that might be interesting for a formula? And like many times when you're trying to convey a lot of information in a short period of time, it's easy to try to shorten it by making comparisons, right? And so, you know, going full circle with entertainment, um, it's really easy, but sometimes very lethal for new artists to be compared to legendary artists, right? This is the new Patti LaBelle. This is the new Beyonce. And it's an easy way for people to understand, oh, they must be extremely talented and charismatic. But then at the same time, it can be a real hamper because they're expecting that person or that ingredient to be identical to the one, you know, it's being compared to. And that can be, um, you know, a real shame and a hamper. You know, Bakuchiol, it is a very, very good antioxidant. It's in part why it's sometimes combined with things like retinol, things that are unstable and can benefit from being protected by what we call sacrificial antioxidants. So uh, they'll take the hit uh, so that the ingredient that you want to keep intact, you know, stays protected, essentially. Um, and so, you know, we love that effect about Bakuchiol. Um, and it does have some really promising initial research on improving the appearance of skin in certain measures, you know, associated with uh, sun damage or photo aging, for example, right? And so it was just a, it was a, an interesting ingredient that I wanted to play with. And it's one of four other antioxidants in the product. Um, and just having a nice cocktail of antioxidants um, combined together. And that way you can have room to play with your solid performers, you know, a lot of uh, large body of evidence, things like uh, tocopherol, right? Pure vitamin E. Um, uh, that are great performers, but maybe people don't get as excited about. And then, you know, newer ingredients are promising uh, evidence behind them, like Bakuchiol, or um, we also include an ingredient, the trade name is Zeronicare AP, and it's a particularly interesting, long-lasting antioxidant in the product as well. So, you know, let's not, let's not, let's, let's let Bakuchiol stand on its own two feet and not get hampered by maybe being unfairly compared to, to retinol. Yeah, because the the product that the Bakuchiol is featured as an ingredient in is the barrier and antioxidant treatment, and it has 20% liquid crystal lipids with Bakuchiol and turmeric root. And this product, I love putting it on in the morning and wearing it underneath my moisturizer and sunscreen as like an extra added protection, like fighting off the free radicals. But I, I remember when I was first introduced to it, 
the messaging around Bakuchiol has been so strong that it's like a retinol alternative that it's like, well, would I wear this during the day? And so that's why I was glad that the team explained, no, this is not, we're not using this as a retinol alternative. We're truly using this as antioxidant protection because it really is a great antioxidant. Yes, and we did an interesting study on its antioxidant capacity, actually, showing that it reduced the visible signs of free radical damage by 25% after a week of usage. Um, and so those environmental stressors, you know, the free radicals produced by exposure to sunlight, exposure to pollution, um, it can be helpful, and especially if, for example, you have skin that's sensitive to vitamin C. And we all think of vitamin C it's interesting because vitamin C also improves the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles and discolorations on the skin, but we don't call it a retinol alternative. It's vitamin C, right? Um, but for folks who are sensitive to vitamin C, they can use the barrier antioxidant treatment um, as their alternative um, if they can, right? If they can use that product and not the vitamin C, for example. And then we have the resurfacing and hydrating serum, which is what you kind of mentioned earlier. And this has the 13.5% multi-acid blend with niacinamide and then the galactoarbinian. Binian? Arabinin. Binin. Why do I keep wanting to say binian? It's because there's an A, N, and I keep adding an I there instead of where it's supposed to be. So I'm going to get it. <laughs> I'm going to get it. I promise. But tell me more about this, this particular product. Yes. So I have, you know, very, very blemish prone skin. Um, and so I need to exfoliate uh, very regularly in order to keep things in check. Um, but I was always taking my skin to the very knife's edge when I use something that was strong enough to clean out my pores. Um, but right, the wind would blow and I would get red and flaky. Um, and so I thought, was is there a way to to deliver sort of the resurfacing uh, power of a chemical exfoliant, but take out some of the pain. Um, and so this is a product that I really formulated for myself. And so it uses polyhydroxy and beta hydroxy acid blend, gluconolactone and salicylic acid, um, and also things like tranexamic acid and niacinamide for that you know skin tone evening uh, property. Um, and then uh, galactoarabinin um, is in there as well. So this is a really interesting ingredient, sometimes called larch gum because it's derived from the larch tree. And in its raw form, it looks kind of like and smells also kind of like sugar. Um, and uh, it smells very sweet. Um, and it has a lot of functional properties in formulating because it it's very good at forming films on the skin. And so um, it was used a lot, still is, in sunscreens, for example, to help form an even layer that adheres to skin because that can boost the performance of, of the sunscreen um, when you apply it. Um, it can also help suspend particles like zinc oxide and titanium dioxide in the formula as well. Um, but uh, more recently, um, it's been shown to also have some exfoliating properties on the skin without putting, you know, barrier function uh, in, a, in a pickle, right? So it doesn't contribute to dryness or irritation. And in fact, it seems to improve or decrease uh, water loss from the skin when applied. Um, and so I thought, okay, well, Maybe if I play with these ingredients together, I can create something that will be strong enough to keep my skin congestion in check, but not make me red and flaky. Um, and so this is a product that I've been using. I'm so glad that I can share it now with everyone um, because before folks would ask, well, what do you have on your face? <laughs> like, <laughs> you guys asked me today and I couldn't tell them because the product wasn't available yet. Okay. And matter of fact, also got, a makeover branding wise and packaging wise it looks like very clinical but chic and modern to me it's really really beautiful why did you decide uh that you wanted to do this rebrand repackage there are a few reasons so um i think probably some guests on the pod before have mentioned the moment that you take on investment uh you're responsible to the stakeholders and so there's a lot of pressure to deliver. Um, and so uh, we wanted to launch into market uh, relatively quickly so that we could gain learnings, right, from the customer, from from the market, right? And so we launched at the very end of September in 2021. Um, and, you know, some investors also invest a lot in tech, right? So there's a lot of the lingo from 
it's a soft launch or it's a beta and you learn and then you improve and so on and so forth. That's maybe language that's not as commonly used in skincare and in, and in beauty. Um, but if you can improve, it's always good to. And for us, you know, there were a few things that I had on my mind. So number one was we had been in a pandemic, right? We fundraised, we launched, you know, through the pandemic. Um, at that time, nobody could shop in person. Um, and now that things have started opening up, we're seeing a huge surge in in-person shopping. Um, people want to be able to touch and feel products before they can, they have to buy them now. Um, and when we launched, we didn't keep that in mind that maybe someday we might want to be on a physical shelf. And then you don't have a website and a product description page to talk about the product. You have the bottle and you have the box. And we had no information about the products on either of those things. And so thinking, oh, that might not be so future-proof. Um, so we wanted to make sure that we did that. So you'll see now the packaging has all the information on it from the beginning, the bottle and the box. The other thing was sizing. Um, our original component only came in one size. And, uh, and you know, especially for the moisturizer, um, 30 mils or one fluid ounce is a smaller amount for a moisturizer, which is usually 1.7 ounces or 50 mils, right? And so thinking and hearing from our customers, I run out of the moisturizer much faster than I run out of the serum. <laughs> yep. And so, you know, can you increase the size of, of the, the component? Um, and then, of course, we knew it, we were going to be releasing new products as well. And so the number of products would increase. What could we do to help people navigate the line? So that's why we created the color coding system. Blue is more active products and white is more nourishing products, active being things targeting like targeting things like uh, wrinkling and fine lines, dark spots on the skin, so on and so forth. And nourishing products, focusing a little bit more on barrier support, hydration, moisture. Um, sometimes, as we were discussing, your, need, your skin needs a little bit more, a more active approach. Sometimes it needs a more nourishing approach. And so people could, could navigate the system. So those are some of the reasons why we wanted to rebrand and repackage the products. I have to say the packaging and the way that everything is laid out, it really does make it so easy for the consumer when they get it. Oftentimes when I'm sent products, I have to get on a website and look up like exactly what this product is meant for and when to use it and things of that nature. So I really appreciated just being able to look and be like, oh, this makes sense to me. This is a nourishing product. I could use it every day if I wanted to. I could use it day and night if I wanted to. So um, I think it was very smart. And I think the, the new packaging is so chic and feels extremely elevated. So I love it. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, so we've we've held you hostage for too long. Um, we're gonna let you go, but before we do, there is a new product coming out next month that, Sarah, you have it, right? I do, I have it. I haven't tried it yet, but I have it. This product is holy grail status for Kirby A. Johnson over here, okay? Like I use this religiously since I've gotten it from Paul himself. It is the wrinkle and texture serum, right? Is it? A, it's a serum technically. Okay. Concentrate. It's a, what we're calling it. Yeah. Concentrate. Okay. Yeah. It's a big old bottle. Okay. So you don't have to feel like I don't feel like I'm precious with it, even though I only use like a tiny pea size amount, which is what is indicated. You don't need to wear a ton, but this product, it's not even out yet. <laughs> like telling everybody to get on the website and sign up because the only way that you will be able to learn more about it is if you sign up on the website it says be the first to know and you put in your email so it's 0.2 percent encapsulated retinol l-ascorbic acid azelaic acid and bacuchiol and initially if i heard all those ingredients together i'd be like hell to the no my skin is not going to be able to tolerate this this sounds like a nightmare for my skin but after having met Paul and he wooed me with his charm, his intellect and his amazing skin, I was like, okay, I'm gonna try this. And I've been using it solidly for at least four weeks now. I feel when I look at, I have not had any issues with my skin. I have not had a crazy cyst like I usually get. I have not had like, I feel like my blackheads are disappearing on my chin. I feel like my texture around my eye area, like there have been so many times that I've put up, put on makeup the past month that I'm like, my skin is looking good. Like it is looking like very, very healthy. So it, I saw it yesterday. It looked amazing. 
Thank you. But also, you saw me wearing makeup that I was testing that was patchy on my face. So d- don't judge the skincare. <laughs> judge the, the makeup. It was it was a. a I, didn't, I didn't think it was I, was, I was. From my angle, it looked good. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate also, that. Also, everything that this product is, it, it like speaks to like Kirby and me and also like our listeners who are in our like 30s, mid 30s, who are 40s. 40s, who are just trying to find that product that tackles the wrinkle and the texture. Yep. So tell us about this holy grail concentrate. Oh my gosh, first of all, I can't tell you how happy it makes me feel to hear this positive feedback. It's with product development, you know, I formulated that product in 2019. And so it's been a four year gap between formulating it and then finally it being shared with the world. Um, And so sometimes you can sort of forget the initial excitement you had about the product. And then when you hear this positive feedback, you know, it makes your heart swell. Um, But this is, this is, you know, a product that was born out of a conversation with some dermatologists at the time uh, that I was having. And they were just having a conversation about, um, they're actually talking about Triluma, which is uh, the prescription, you know, uh, triple therapy, combination therapy product that combines uh, prescription tretinoin with hydroquinone. Uh, I think 4%. And then because those two things are really effective, but also really irritating, especially in combination with each other, a fluorinated steroid um, to try to cut back on the redness Mm. uh, and irritation Mm. that they cause in skin. And it's considered to be, you know, a gold standard topical uh, therapy for things like melasma. And they're talking about Triluma and sharing some of, you know, the early uh, research that they were a part of for Triluma many, many, many years ago. Um, and, you know, the, the how it sort of revolutionized, you know, uh, options for dermatologists to, to send someone home with something that they can use every day. And I thought, it's interesting. I wonder if you could, you know, apply a combination therapy, quote unquote, approach to cosmetics, right? Meaning trying to uh, attack or address a concern the same concern from multiple angles to have some sort of synergistic effect, an effect that's greater than the sum of its parts. And at that time in 2019, I had sort of a a technology around vitamin C, of course, and then I had a technology around retinol and around acylic acid. And I thought these ingredients, it's been so hard to formulate with just one of them at a time in a cosmetically elegant, stable, effective kind of way, but maybe I could try using these things to combine them into one product. And it was really difficult because um, this product is waterless, but it's it's an emulsion, meaning it's a mixture of two phases that don't mix. Usually emulsions are water and oil or water and silicone, but this is not water. So it's a polyol and silicone emulsion. And there is no literature uh, you know, of how to stabilize these kinds of emulsions to make sure that they stay put together on the shelf. So there's a lot of trial and error, um, but, you know, we got it. We got it through the testing. We're so happy. And what I'm particularly excited about is that we're uh, we're doing a 16-week clinical study on this product. And we've gotten results uh, to date through week 12. And of course, clinical studies are really expensive and you have no control over the results, right? Because it's run by a third party independent lab. Um, And so you do everything you can with the formula to uh, maximize the chances, right? That it will do what you hope it will do through multiple layers of ingredients, but you never know until you get the results back. And uh, we're really excited about this product. It's performing thankfully as we had hoped it would and we observed it did on our own skin. Um, it's the the strongest sort of um, active formula in terms of being transformational for things like, you know, appearance of wrinkling and fine lines and dark spots on skin. And so we're so excited to be able to share this product and so over the moon that you've been enjoying it, Kirby. Yes. Sarah, I think we'll love it too, but I... Yes, I can't wait. Once I can start using retinol again. Oh, right, right. Yeah, because you are breastfeeding. Um, why did I say that under my breath? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we we know you're a mom. It's not a big deal. Um, 
Okay, this was great. Paul, we love you. You're so fantastic. We're going to come and take over your lab one day. We're just going to like follow you around, make you teach us how to make stuff. Oh my God. Yeah, little interns, little assistants. <laughs> oh, yeah. please do. You know, I tried to lure in um, our teammates here in LA too, because, you know, uh, someone will come in, you know, for a meeting or something, and then they'll go home with a prototype of something and then talk to another team member and they'll be like what's that where did you get it? it's like paul gave it to you and it's like come to the lab because you'll leave with with goodies um and Ooh, those are my our type of goodies <laughs> exactly but thank you so so much for having me on it's been such an honor and a privilege and i i hope that i've been able to share some um fun and informational stories and uh and i i so look forward to having you guys in the lab soon before we let you go, where can everybody find Matter of Fact? So right now you can find Matter of Fact at matteroffact.com, our website. And, and we hope to have some uh, good news about retailers in the near future as well. All right, that's it. Thank you everyone for listening. We will be back on Tuesday with the week's most buzzy beauty news. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify so you don't miss any breaking beauty news or product reviews. And if you want to support us, be sure to follow us at Gloss Angeles Pod on all platforms and join our Facebook group. Plus, find every product we recommend on our website, glossangelespod.com, as well as links to the stories and news we report each week. You can follow us, your hosts. I'm Sarah Tan, that's S-A-R-A-T-A-N, on all social platforms. And I'm Kirby Johnson, K-I-R-B-I-E, on all social platforms. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.